Before tonight's episode, I want to let you know about our supporters feed, Get Sleepy Premium, the best way to experience the show and get a good night's sleep. With Get Sleepy Premium, everything is ad-free. You'll receive a bonus episode every week and have full access to our entire back catalogue. Your support really helps and means so much to us. Simply tap the link in the show notes to learn more. Now, a quick word from our sponsors who make it possible for us to bring you two free episodes each week. Welcome to Get Sleepy, where we listen, we relax, and we get sleepy. I'm your host, Tom, and it's a pleasure to have your company. Arif will be reading tonight's story, where we'll be rejoining a young woman named Aaliyah and going on a magical journey through the kingdom of Walid. It's a magical land of beautiful mountains, fertile valleys, picturesque villages, and one bustling city in the centre of the kingdom. The first time we met Aaliyah, She followed a group of thieves into a cave, where she found treasure protected by a djinn. If you haven't heard the first story yet, called The Cave of Treasure, you can still listen to this one tonight and revisit the first another time. If you haven't already done so, Put any physical distractions to one side. Laying in a position that allows you to breathe deeply and slowly. Relax your jaw. Relax your shoulders. Your legs. and any other areas where tension tends to hang around. Gradually slow your breathing, drawing the air in and noticing your chest and stomach expand. Gently release the air back out as the weight of your body sinks further into bed. As you enjoy that feeling of slowing down, imagine that the air that you are breathing in is enveloping you in a sense of peace and tranquility. And with the out-breath, you let go of anything disruptive, like tension in the muscles and busyness in the mind. Breathe in calm. Release tension. Bit by bit, Your whole being becomes immersed in nothing but peace. 
there's no rush either. So just take your time, gradually drifting into that sense of calm. Feel the softness of your pillow supporting your head as you let all the worries and concerns of the day fade away. Continue to relax and make your way into sleep as I hand over to a reef for tonight's story. We begin in a small cottage where Aaliyah lives. out of wood she collects in an ancient olive grove nearby. Her parents are also artists in their own way. Her mother bakes delicious loaves of bread, and her father weaves intricate baskets. All three sell their wares at markets in Bispis and surrounding villages. The family is not wealthy, but they have everything they need. They're happy in their humble cottage and their small village. Aaliyah has a secret, though. About a month ago, while searching for a good piece of olive wood to carve, she found a magical cave. Inside were piles of glittering treasure and a mighty gin. Since Aaliyah hadn't stolen any treasure, the gin let her go and even conjured a perfect piece of olive wood for her carving. Since then, Aaliyah has returned to the cave a few times. She's never again used the magic words to open the door, but she leaves gifts just outside for the djinn. She feels the chin might be lonely, guarding the cave all the time with no one to talk to. Once, Aaliyah left some of her mother's delicious bread after she put it down on the ground. It disappeared with a slight whoosh and a shimmer. Another time, 
she brought one of her father's beautifully woven baskets. Again with a whoosh and a shimmer, the gift disappeared. The next time she came with a carving she had made, but found a gift that had been left for her outside the cave. It was a pair of slippers. The heavy red leather was beautifully embroidered with golden thread. The soles were also leather, thick and durable. She could wear these in the worst of weather, and her feet would be protected. But Aaliyah could also wear them to a formal party and be envied. She tried them on, and of course, the slippers fit perfectly. They were made by a djinn, after all. Aaliyah smiled in gratitude toward the cave entrance imagining the djinn watching her from the other side of the magical door. She thanked him for the beautiful slippers and put her carving on the ground. Whoosh, shimmer. It disappeared, just like her other offerings. For the next couple of weeks, Aaliyah and her parents were busy traveling to surrounding village markets. It was busy but worthwhile. At each market stop, her mother pulled out the small clay oven from the wagon to bake fresh loaves. The comforting scent of baking bread attracted people to their tent, and bread customers almost always bought a carving or a basket too, sometimes both. The family is finally home though, having sold most of their wares. It's almost fall and the busy market season is coming to a close. Aaliyah is glad of the slower pace in the fall and winter. It allows her time to carve more figures and restock for the upcoming summer season. To accomplish that, Aaliyah needs more olive wood the next morning is bright and sunny, with only a few small clouds. She puts on her beautiful slippers and calls to her dog, Kelb. The two set off toward the ancient olive grove to collect wood. Aaliyah also has a gift for the djinn, of course. 
This time, it's a small pot of honey that she bought from another market stall in a neighboring village. Aaliyah and Kelb wind their way among the old trees with their twisted trunks and dusty, oval-shaped leaves. It's quiet in the grove, and it seems they have the whole place to themselves. A few birds hop along the ground, searching for bugs to eat. Others sit in the low branches, singing for a mate. As they approach the Jin's cave, Aaliyah sees that something is different. The cave is open. Previously, someone had to say magic words to make the rock wall disappear and reveal the cave. But now, there is no barrier. Aaliyah walks slowly to the opening and peers inside. She sees nothing but a dark tunnel and hears no noise from within. Aaliyah is worried about the djinn, so she decides to go inside. The last time she entered, torches automatically lit up the path. This time, though, there are no magical lights guiding her. But there is enough light coming through the entrance that she can make her way down the long tunnel to the main treasure room. It grows brighter as she approaches the large space. Aaliyah looks up and notices a small opening in the ceiling, letting in some light. What that light reveals is a vast room, completely empty. The piles of golden coins, some as large as her hand, are gone. So is the mountain of glittering jewels, the oil paintings, and the marble sculptures. As Aaliyah walks around the empty space, marveling at how different it is, Kelb explores the corners. He sniffs carefully, making sure he collects as much information as possible from each intriguing smell before moving on. Then he comes across something tucked into a hollow of the cave wall. He tries to dig it out, but it seems stuck. Kelb whines, attracting Aaliyah's attention. Aaliyah 
walks over to see what could be so interesting. She notices a slight gleam of metal in the hollow space and reaches in. After a little bit of a struggle, she pulls out a plain brass lantern. It's similar to those her parents used to light their cottage in the evening. But the lanterns at home are bright and shiny. This one is quite dull. Aaliyah uses her sleeve to give the side a quick polish. Suddenly, with a soft whooshing sound, the djinn appears, floating in front of her. Aaliyah falls over onto a cushion on the ground, and Kelb starts barking at the apparition. The djinn is just as large as Aaliyah remembers, twice the size of an average mortal. He is wearing loose pants and a long tunic, cinched at the waist with a wide golden belt. He's floating a few feet off the floor and smiles down at Aaliyah, who stares back, her eyes and mouth wide open in wonder. Kelb continues barking until the djinn looks at him and, with a snap of his fingers, produces a nice meaty bone that he throws to the dog. Kelb immediately loses interest in the djinn and busies himself with the special treat. Aaliyah is happy to see her friend, but wants to know what happened in the cave. When she is over her surprise, she asks him to explain. The djinn tells her the thieves who had been using the cave to store their stolen treasure suspected that someone had found out about it. As the cave's guardian, it was his responsibility to guard their plunder. He told them nothing about Aaliyah's previous visit because he didn't want to endanger her. But when the thieves left, one stayed behind to watch the cave and saw her leave the gifts. The djinn had to confess, but told them Aaliyah took nothing from the cave. The thieves couldn't trust the djinn anymore. They imprisoned him in the lantern and moved all their stolen goods to another secret location somewhere in the kingdom of Walid leaving the djinn trapped until Aaliyah released him.
the jinn is happy to be out of the lantern, but he is unsure what to do next. He is free of his obligation to the thieves and can now choose for himself. Should he stay in the cave, it's been his home for many decades. Or he could do what other free jinns do, play tricks on mortals. Aaliyah doesn't think that's a very nice plan and asks if there is anything he's ever dreamed of doing that doesn't involve playing tricks on humans. The djinn says he's always wanted to travel and see the whole kingdom of Walid. Aaliyah claps her hands with joy. She also yearns to travel. She's seen only this small valley, a fraction of the vast kingdom. But she's heard stories about mountains where snow falls and never melts, rich pasture land with fields of wheat and barley, and acres of orange trees. And then there's the capital city of Zamorad, where King Sahir rules from his mighty stone castle. The jinn is intrigued by Aliyah's description of the kingdom and asks if she would like to come on the journey with him. Alas, she says, she can't because her parents will worry if she doesn't come home soon. The djinn grins and snaps his fingers. A large carpet appears on the ground, but then Aaliyah notices it isn't really on the ground. It's floating about a foot above the cave floor. The djinn says the magic carpet will fly them faster than she can imagine to the far corners of Walid. And, he adds, it's a much more comfortable way to travel than on horseback. They can see the whole country in a day. Aaliyah doesn't have to think about the djinn's offer for very long. She longs to see more of her country, and this is a wonderful opportunity. She nods in agreement and steps onto the carpet before sitting cross-legged on the back half. She calls to Kelb, and he jumps up and curls into a ball on her lap. The djinn floats over and takes up a position in the front half, since he'll be navigating. 
he tells the carpet to take them to a mountain village. With that simple instruction, the carpet floats through the tunnel to the cave opening and then quickly gains altitude. The traveling trio is soon above the treetops, moving quickly and quietly toward the mountain range that Aaliyah has always dreamed of visiting. At first, Aaliyah is a little nervous. She's never been airborne before. After a short while, though, she gets used to it and is able to enjoy the unique view. Soon, they're soaring past the grove of ancient olive trees. They fly over the village of Bisbis, and Aaliyah can see her family's tiny cottage which looks much smaller from way up in the air. Within minutes, they leave Bisbis behind and reach a neighboring village. And then the edge of the valley. What would have taken days on horseback goes by in a flash. As the valley becomes the foothills of Walid's mountain range, the carpet starts ascending to match the terrain. The ground below becomes rocky, but Aaliyah can see the narrow road that's been carved out for travelers on foot or horseback. The carpet continues to climb and the air grows colder. Aaliyah doesn't have winter clothing with her and shivers in the chill. The djinn notices, and with a snap of his fingers, Aaliyah is suddenly wearing a soft, thick woolen coat and hat. She feels instantly cozy and thanks the djinn for his help. Soon, Aaliyah can see patches of snow on the rocks below. Ahead is a village, and as they fly closer, she can see it's even smaller than Bispis. The homes are made from mud bricks, insulated on the outside with grass and straw bales that have been stacked along the walls and on top of the houses. The bales serve another purpose too, Aaliyah realizes as they get closer. She spots a group of goats and sheeps in pens next to the homes, grazing on that innovative insulation. 
Each home has a tiny stove pipe poking out of the roof, with a steady stream of smoke from wood stoves keeping people warm in their houses. It seems everyone is inside for their midday meal because the djinn is able to land the carpet just outside the village boundaries without attracting attention. He snaps his fingers and the carpet disappears. At the same time, the djinn transforms himself so that he won't frighten mortals. Instead of the towering, floating djinn, he is now a middle-aged man with kind eyes who walks on the ground. The djinn still wears loose trousers and a tunic, though, cinched at the waist with his wide, golden belt. They haven't come to the mountains to see a village filled with other people. Aaliyah wants to experience the natural beauty of a place she's only dreamed about. With Kelb at their side, Aaliyah and the djinn walk away from the village, following a path that leads further uphill. They skirt large rocks with short, scrubby plants growing from the cracks, and make footprints in patches of snow remaining from the previous winter. There are other prints here, too, made by people, goats, and sheep, and some Aaliyah doesn't recognize. The djinn knows what the other prints are, though. He says those belong to a lion. Aaliyah knows the djinn will protect her, and she's never seen a lion before. So she suggests they try to find it. They keep their eyes on the ground and walk slowly, following the tracks left by the large cat. When the tracks disappear, Kelb takes the lead, letting his sensitive nose keep them on the right path. They continue climbing up and eventually get to a tall tree. Kelb sniffs around the base and then looks up and barks. In among the branches is a beautiful lion. The tawny fur is smooth and thick. The tips of the lion's tail and tufted ears are several shades darker than the rest of its coat, 
and its eyes are a gleaming gold. The lion is obviously shy and wants nothing to do with the visitors. Aaliyah tells Kelb to be quiet, and after taking another look at the beautiful creature, the three quietly head back the way they came. As they walk, Aaliyah breathes in the clean, crisp mountain air. They take a short side path that they'd missed while looking for the lion, and it leads them to a magical sight. The narrow path opens up to a pool of crystal clear water ringed by rocks. Feeding the pool is a waterfall cascading over a rocky ledge high above. Mist created by the waterfall hitting the pool sparkles in the sunshine like multicolored precious gems. If it wasn't so chilly, Aaliyah would have waded into the inviting pool. Instead, she admires its beauty while staying warm and dry. The group wanders back to the main path and climbs to the highest spot on the trail. Aaliyah marvels at the beautiful views from the mountaintop. From one angle, she can see even taller mountains, their peaks covered with snow. In another direction, she can see her valley, tiny at a distance, but recognizable. And off in another direction is the rich farm country where most of the kingdom's food grows. That's the next stop on the magic carpet tour. The trio gets back to the spot where they first landed, and the djinn snaps his fingers. The carpet reappears, and the djinn changes back to his usual appearance. They climb onto the floating carpet, and the djinn tells it to take them to the farmlands. The carpet descends the mountain at a dreamy speed. The landscape changes almost every minute, along with the temperature. Aaliyah soon has to take off her wool coat and hat, because they are no longer in the cold mountain air. The trees around them soon give way to fields filled with crops 
ready for harvest. They pass above a large, prosperous-looking village and then land near an orange grove. Again, the djinn snaps his fingers to hide the carpet and disguise himself. Aaliyah looks with pleasure at the stand of trees to her left. It isn't her beloved forest of olive trees, but it's inviting and shady. Across a narrow dirt road to her right is a cornfield. Aaliyah has never seen corn growing before, so she's intrigued by how tall the stalks are and how closely they grow together. She walks over and squeezes through to get a closer look while the djinn waits by the road. She stops after a few feet when she hears a strange voice greet her. Aaliyah looks around and doesn't see anybody. The only living creature she can spot, other than Kelb, is a crow perched on a bent corn stalk. It's looking at her with bright black eyes, and then it quite clearly says hello. Aaliyah is surprised, but then again, she's just flown down a mountain on a carpet with a djinn. So a talking crow isn't as amazing today as it would have been yesterday. She smiles at the crow and says hello back. Aaliyah asks the crow how it's able to talk, and it tells her it isn't sure. It listened to the farmers tending the fields and eventually started talking. The crow says the farmers didn't pay much attention, though. Aaliyah is the first person who's ever talked back. The crow says it lives in the orange grove and comes to the field to eat corn every day. Aaliyah asks if it will show her its home, and the crow flaps its wings and flies across the path to the shady stand of trees. Aaliyah and Kelb follow more slowly on foot and are joined by the djinn. When they catch up with the crow, It's perched on a low branch near the middle of the grove. It's quiet among the trees, with filtered light and a soft breeze. 
The branches hang heavy with ripe fruit, all a deep orange color that contrasts beautifully with the lush green leaves. As Aaliyah admires the scenery, a young farmer appears pushing a wooden wheelbarrow, half filled with ripe oranges. The farmer greets Aaliyah and the disguised Jin and asks if they need directions. Aaliyah explains that they are visitors and have been admiring the beautiful orange grove. The farmer is pleased and says they're welcome to explore and pick a few oranges for their travels. Aaliyah doesn't want to be greedy, so she takes only a couple of oranges and thanks the farmer for his generosity. She peels them as the group strolls lazily through the trees, enjoying the quiet and eating juicy orange segments one by one. The crow keeps them company, flying from branch to branch and sharing harmless gossip. Eventually, it's time to leave for the capital city. The djinn snaps his fingers to bring back the carpet, and the trio climbs on. They wave farewell to the crow, and the djinn directs the carpet toward Zamorad. The carpet quickly gains altitude, and the fertile farmland turns into a patchwork quilt below them. They soon leave that rural landscape behind, as more homes and towns indicate they are on the outskirts of Zamorad already. The djinn asks the carpet to stop in a small group of trees, not too far from the gates to the capital city, but far enough away to not attract attention. He snaps his fingers to hide the carpet and disguises himself again, and the three travelers walk to the city gates. It's market day in Zamorad, so the city is busier than normal. Shops and inns are filled with people, and the streets are filled with makeshift stalls or simple wagons, offering everything from fruit to bread to candles and clothing. The streets are wide to accommodate all the market stalls. Smooth cobblestones pave the streets, and large cut stones make up the walls of all the tidy storefronts. 
Many of the buildings have charming flower boxes in the windows, providing splashes of color against the gray of the stone. While the market is busy and interesting, Aaliyah has seen plenty of markets in her life. She wants to see the castle. The group makes their way through the market space and heads uphill to the home of King Sahir. The castle is also made from stone, but it's a special stone from a quarry far to the south. The granite there has a beautiful green hue, making the castle stand out even more from the rest of the city. As they approach the castle, an old man walking in front of them trips on a loose cobblestone and stumbles. Aaliyah runs over to help him up and offers her arm as support for however long he needs it. The man smiles at her generous nature and says it isn't necessary, since his home is right in front of them. He points to the castle, where some guards have emerged and are running toward the group. The guards are very concerned about the old man, who turns out to be King Sahir. The king tells Aaliyah that he likes to go for secret walks every afternoon among his subjects. The daily outing allows him to hear about people's concerns directly. The king invites Aaliyah and her friends in for tea, and the group eagerly accepts. Flanked by guards, they walk through the grand front entrance into a large reception hall. It's the biggest room Aaliyah has ever seen, with chairs lining the walls hand-woven carpets on the green stone floor, and a single large throne, also made of green stone, sitting a few steps above the rest of the chairs. But the group doesn't stop there. King Sahir turns to his right and leads them through a nondescript door down a short hallway and into a much smaller room. This space is cozy, with soft chairs all at the same height, hangings on the walls, and a brass tray with tea and cakes. 
the king dismisses the guards and tells the servants they can go to. Then he serves tea to his guests, like any good host would do. Together, they talk about books, art, and travel. They don't reveal how they've traveled to the capital city and let the king believe they've been on horseback for months. The king is impressed with their adventures and intrigued by Aaliyah's fond description of her valley with its ancient olive trees. The valley is so far from Zamorad, the king has never been able to visit. Soon, a guard interrupts them to remind the king of an important meeting. It's late in the day, and Aaliyah wants to get back home to her beloved valley anyway. They bid farewell to the kind king and follow a guard back outside. The trio walks to the main gates of the city through the market, which is winding down for the evening. Vendors pack up their goods as shoppers head home or to a nearby inn for their evening meal. Aaliyah, Kelb, and the Jinn make their way back to the small stand of trees, and the djinn snaps his fingers to bring back the carpet. They climb on one last time, and the djinn directs the carpet back to the valley, but at a slower pace this time. Aaliyah yawns wide as the carpet floats leisurely above Zamorad. She lies back, pulling Kelb close. Aaliyah closes her eyes and lets the smooth movement of the carpet lull her toward sleep. She takes a deep breath and replays some of the day's adventures in her mind. It's been a wonderful experience, and she will cherish the memories forever. Kelb sighs and snuggles up closer to Aaliyah. and the two travelers quietly drift off to sleep.